Oh my. How are you, friends? I missed you. I didn't really. Uh, it's uh, Off the Pitch, the podcast, here at theprovince.com. I'm on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash off the pitch. I'm Mike Martinego. First time, long time. Hope you're well. Did you miss me? Probably not. Like I mentioned, I did miss you. I don't know who that whisper was. Um, thanks for thanks for tuning in, checking me out. I I did highly consider not doing another program until the Whitecaps uh, were to win a match, but <laughs> I wouldn't be on the rest of the year. Um, oh, it's tough times. It's tough times for that Whitecaps FC uh, squadron. Did I almost screw up there and say Whitecaps? That would have been too easy. Um, they are... They are Joe Namath struggling right now. Loads to get into about them. Um, of course, I'm on Twitter, at Mike Martinego, where you can, um, you can you know, just check me out. You can follow. Hell, you can comment like some of you do and don't follow. I don't know why. Um, we can talk about loads of things. Inferiority complexes? Why not? Because that's what we are out west. <laughs> Already? Am I going at that one? A lot of show, a lot of show to get into. Uh, we'll talk Whitecaps FC and their, well, consistent struggles. It is. It has been quite something. This this team here over the past little while, just a lot of yikes coming from that from that side, and and it might only continue. Oh boy, um, we will talk Canada men as well. As it's a recap of what happened at Honduras, a look ahead to El Salvador. That's later on in the program. And by the time, because this this podcast is listened to um, a couple days after release, I'll give you a fair warning. You may not want to listen to that part so much a little later on, just because um, it won't apply necessarily. So yeah, I'm I'm telling you not exactly. Well, kind of. You don't have to listen uh, to that portion a little later on. But I will definitely reflect on what happened or what didn't happen against Honduras. Extremely frustrating. Um, so will they be able to turn, ar- to turn around this uh, group, their situation, against El Salvador Tuesday night? At BC Place, Soccer Capital Canada. That's hashtag Soccer Capital Canada. Will they? It's it's not looking likely. The chances are very slim. Um, but I'll look ahead to that. But I will definitely focus on what happened on Honduras, where I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it looked as though they, they've lost their chance to get to the hex on that very day, that 2-1 defeat. In San Pedro Sula. Oh, I said that beautifully. It wasn't 8-1. It wasn't. But it wasn't good. There was a whole lot of bad from that match. And we'll look back at that. Wrap it all up a little later on with some uh, MLS discussion. Because, of course, the league continues on FIFA dates. Why the hell not, right? I mean, who cares if you're missing six internationals? (laughs) Play on, folks. You play on. So some MLS and some World Cup qualifying um, as a whole. But we started off, as we usually do, with Vancouver Caps FC. But I should mention, by the way, off the pitch podcast, it's 
brought to you by Milano Coffee on Denman in Vancouver, the corner of Denman and Harrow, serving award-winning espresso homemade gelato. For more information, their website, milanocoffee.ca. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Milano Denman. Okay. Wow. Again, I, I said it earlier. Yikes. This this cap side, as they are, uh, they're, well, their playoff hopes anyways, slip sliding away in that MLS Western Conference. 31 points for the Caps. Uh, so far from, what is it, 28 matches? Um, it's ugly times. It's ugly times. A lot of numbers I've looked up over the past few days, and really post-Saturday defeat, 1-0 loss at home. Big surprise, everyone. That home record, awful. 1-0 defeat at home to New York Red Bulls. Uh, Yeah, as I mentioned, 31 points from 28 matches. This kind of falls in the category of of woulda, coulda, shoulda to some extent because uh, they don't. It's not drawn up this way. We can be honest about that. But if you take the... 28 matches from this year. You take the final six from last season. I threw this out there on Twitter. Got some got some good feedback. Um, so if you already saw it, and I'm repeating myself now, sorry. Uh, sorry. But if you take six from last year, 28 from this year, you do the math. 34 matches, 36 points. Oh, boy. That's relegation station right there. No, they don't do that in the old North American soccer, uh, because, you, hell, you could just buy a franchise for $200 million, But you get what I'm saying. It's absolutely awful. And has it carried over from last year? I suppose it kind of has. Maybe. Um, Bob Lenarduzzi has said a few times, especially lately, that maybe the season and the year just turned instantly when they fell apart at home in the second leg of the Amway Canadian Championship to Toronto FC. And you remember what happened in that one. Oh, some key figures there, right? David Osted, Kendall Waston. I still think it was Kendall's fault. Um, and, and who got that winner? Oh, Will Johnson, who wasn't named to the national team. He got, well, not the winner, but the winner of the two legs anyways. Still lost that match, but they did go through on away goals. Leonard Doozy has mentioned that that could have been the turning point. Whatever the case, it has been an awful run for Carl Robinson and company. Like I said, through one season, you are just barely just over a point a match. And my friends, that's pretty pathetic. That, that's, that's awful. That's, that's not good at all. This, this run here, winless in eight matches. They have scored three goals in those eight matches. So I guess that's not bad, right? Considering you take out the first one, the 2-2 draw, the Orlando City back on July the 16th. Oh yeah, that means one goal scored in their last seven games. Um, ugly stuff. There's, there's absolutely no other way to put it. Last victory coming July the 13th, so they are, um, well, if they can pull out a victory this weekend at Columbus, they're looking at their first win in almost 
what two months it's it's shocking this run right now you you go back and you add that orlando match the last well the two one goal at the time in that match scored in minute number uh, 43 via masato kudo and just the one goal the rest of the way and that one a late one who was it nico mesquita i believe against san jose so there's that one solitary goal scored once in their last 677 minutes and it's absolutely shocking right now what has happened to this this club really over the past couple months um they and by no means were they fully there and fully entrenched and and a firm playoff spot in that MLS Western Conference because they were in that 5-6 spot really um but it shouldn't have it shouldn't have gone this way i mean you you have gone eight matches with out of victory and and not too many draws along the way and maybe some surprising ones too to pick that uh, pick one up against the LA Galaxy and to get a point at Houston uh, but three draws from those eight 24 points and you grab three of them and for all that said and and I I hear it on Twitter some some say that I'm a shade negative I would say I'm factual um, <laughs> For all that said, they are remarkably only four points back of that final playoff spot. Now, yes, they have a couple teams in between themselves and the Portland Timbers uh, in San Jose and Seattle who have matches in hand. Yes, we know that. But Vancouver has matches against Seattle, against Portland, against San Jose. So maybe all is not lost. But again, something we've discussed numerous times on this program, and by we I mean me, they are trending in the wrong direction. This has been going for a long period of time, and it has not been a good season. I saw this thrown out on Twitter um, a few weeks ago. I think it came up again over the weekend, and it's it's a good question. When you when you think about these 28 MLS matches for Vancouver this year. How many of the 28 actually stand out? And and you think back and you say, you know, that was that was a great match. That was a great performance. Tip to tail. I, you know what? There's a couple, but there's not many. It really isn't. You know, you know, I think back to maybe I mean that that opening match, the 3-2 loss to Montreal, that was kind of entertaining, but it was a loss. You know, they went to Seattle and got a 2-1 win. That wasn't so bad. You know, they went to Toronto and and that was a, a thrilling match when they got a 4-3 win at TFC. One of their bigger wins of the season. Turned around a deficit in the ACC against Ottawa to win 3-0. Had to hang on, though, very late. They're few and far, though. I mean, there's been a lot of heartache along the way, too. ACC match, second leg v. Toronto. Uh, they followed that one up with, uh, well, crapping the bed against the Colorado Rapids, giving up a late equalizer. There, and that that basically, with the exception of one win there, a two nil victory over uh, memory serves a pretty depleted or undermanned RSL side. We go right into that eight match winless run. 
it has been a, well, pretty awful season for, for Vancouver Whitecaps FC. Mentioned the goal stats there. One in their last seven slash 677 minutes. And this ugly streak. I've brought this up a few times and I'm not trying to 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 crush this point, but I will anyways. But no, seriously, when you look at the standings and when you look at at the league really and you look at home records, it's it's not rocket science, folks, to see what you need to do and how difficult it is for teams in this league to play away versus playing at home. The idea always has to be to take your points, to get all points, maximum points from your home matches. And you want to build the buzz from home games, obviously. And the Caps, they, you know, going into this year, I think they... We're not going to go down the sport business route here, but they they kind of were staking their claim on the local market and wedging themselves in maybe to that two spot ahead of the BC lines. And that could be sliding away as well. Because you look at this home record, five victories, five draws, and four defeats. You know, five wins from 14. Total of 20 points of a possible 42. And this is probably too easy to do, but I'll do it anyways. But let's just say Vancouver, you know, adds another 10 points. And they do what they're supposed to do in their home matches. They win their home matches. They take more points. They take 10 more points, let's say, as an example. So you add 10, and they are firmly in a playoff spot. They would be in close to fourth, but in fifth. They'd be close to actually second. Just a couple points back of RSL, Colorado, and LA. Um, but they have done extremely bad at home. You know, easily one of the worst. One of they 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 got competition, but one of the worst records at home in Major League Soccer. There's there's. No other way about it. I mean, you know, you you look at Houston. That, that's just a bad team, though. But from their 13 matches, they've grabbed 19 points. So one less point and one less match. You know, even a, even a team like Chicago has a very decent home record. You have to, again, awful... Awful cliche pun, whatever you want to say, but you have to take care of business at home. I mean, if you can get some victories away, that's good. And you know what? From you know, to, to have three wins away is actually pretty decent, especially when you compare yourselves to the Portland Timbers, which the Caps love to do. Portland hasn't won away this year, they've got six of a possible 42 points away. Well, where are they getting all those points, Mike? Oh, they've picked up 29 of a possible 42 from Providence Park. And that's the difference. That's why they are currently in that sixth spot. They haven't had a good year either. 
but that's why they're in that they're on the other side of the red bar and currently in a playoff position in the MLS West. It's I, I just don't quite understand, um, and I, and I I think I'm not the only one. But I, I it's it's quite stunning to see what's happened to this team here, um, and some of the decisions along the way too. And again, this is not meant to be mean because I've I've had my ups and downs here with. Uh, with uh, Churcherdo, or is it Hurtado? I'm not sure. But Eric Hurtado, it was it was an absolute nightmare what happened on Saturday against New York. I mean, he had seven shots, and he didn't hit the target once. That that's pretty staggering. Um, there, it was wide, it was well wide, it was maybe side netting. It was bad. And, you know, I've, I've gone on about his touch and how poor that is. And it's, it's kind of improved. And, you know, he's played well in CONCACAF Champions League action. I think it's fair to say he's a depth guy. I just don't know how you can... Go back to the well, you know, give this guy more opportunity. You know, does he work hard? Absolutely. Can he bump guys off the ball? No doubt. You know, is he supposed to do those things? You betcha. I like this Q&A with myself, by the way. But seriously, he, you know, he, he does do some positive things. But when push comes to shove, if you are a forward Last I checked, you're supposed to score goals. That's what you're supposed to do. And the numbers are dreadful. You know, I, I looked it up the other day. And, well, a couple stats in terms of shots for Eric Hurtado. He's, he's got 24 this year, which is, by no means, that's not a shocking amount. I think Sebastian Jovenko has, I think, 708, I believe it is. So he's got 24 shots this year. And not on target. Definitely not on target. I think he's got 20%. Maybe 5 of the 24 have actually hit the target. But he has the same amount of shots as Josie Altador. Now, is Eric Hurtado Josie Altador? You bet he's not. But Josie Altador has 5 goals. And again, they're not the same player. Not saying they are. But in terms of number, we numbers, we can make that comparison. On a quick search, Eric Hurtado, I think he is, I guess it's third worst. I guess that's the way you'd put it. Third worst in Major League Soccer with regards to number of shots versus goals. And I want to say it's uh, Roger Espinoza and Kyle Beckerman who are ahead of him. And those are more regular, everyday midfielders applying uh, their trade for Sporting Kansas City and RSL, respectively. But again, just from that match alone, seven shots, and and these weren't, you know, these weren't strikes from thirty yards. They were twenty and in, and there were some really bad misses, some bad decisions. I think there was at one point he had 
Christian Tachera to his left decided to go for goal. No way. Um, and I think you also have to look at the fact that, well, who was available that day? And I made reference to it already. I didn't say the team, but the Caps had six guys off on international duty from Friday. They all played Friday. They all played 90 minutes, too, for their uh, respective nations. A couple for Canada, a couple for Costa Rica, Panama, Jamaica. You know who. So six guys down, and earlier in the week, last week, just the quick math, I was thinking, this this team's not going to have many guys to choose from when they go into their match against New York. And and it's true. They, they maxed out at 19. The only guy who wasn't part of things on Saturday was Marco Bustos. It wasn't really hard to figure out who was going to be where. And I had said it last week. You're very much staring at a situation where you're going to have Andrew Jacobson and Tim Parker as a center back pairing. Not the worst thing in the world, by the way. But it was process of elimination. Who's going to play? Well, who who else could be available? There was that guy that the Caps brought in uh, in the offseason. He's Japanese. Um, they pay him a decent amount of money. He's supposed to come here to, uh, to score goals. Well, Masato Kudo. Masato Kudo was available. But Robbo and company went back to Eric Hurtado. Now, I don't think it's a matter of confidence in Kudo. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's pretty surprising to me that they would go to Eric Hurtado and stick with him too. And you know, we can and we can talk about lone striker versus two striker, and that's a fair argument as well. But has Masato Kudo fallen kind of that far down the the radar, the depth chart, to sit and watch for such a long period of time while Eric Hurtado could not hit BC place. And I and I'm I'm being honest here. I don't even mean like I I didn't screw up there. I didn't mean the net or the goal at BC place. I meant BC place. He could not hit it. He's not Bradley Wright Phillips. He's not. We know this. I already said he's not Josie Altador. But Bradley Wright Phillips had what? Two chances and he scored on one of them instantly. Was there an absolute mess at that back end for Vancouver? Uh-huh. But he took advantage of it. The fact that Masato Kudo, making that type of money, is sitting, watching, waiting, and finally gets in for the last 11 minutes. And I don't care if Rabo wasn't on the bench. I mean, they, they work as a group. Him, Martin Pert, Gordon Forrest, etc. And yes, there were not many people left on the bench after Rabo and Gordon Forrest were sent off uh, just prior to the break. More on that momentarily. I, but it's it's staggering to me that Masato Kudo did not get a chance early on in that one. And you know, do you? I think people out there, myself included, not necessarily trying to be a dick about Eric Hurtado. Can I say that? I've said it before. I don't care. Um, but you're you're not you. 
you're not trying to be mean, but it's it's difficult to watch, isn't it? I mean, there there's just some bad misses. And those bad misses, you add them up, or even if you take one of the seven, the difference between zero and one and potentially three points. Really, really poor stuff. You know, looking back at and thinking back to that match, and, and yeah, there were a variety of talking points. Um, I mentioned Robbo getting ejected, getting sent off prior to the break. Uh, what's what's Buddy's name here? Soren Stoika, the Romanian-American referee, um, the former police officer uh, taking charge um, as an angry cop would. He, he was not good. He, he was, in fact, he was really bad. And I, and I tweeted it. The caps were probably overly whiny, but the referee was garbage that day. I mean, the, the way that all kind of wrapped up right before the break, too. Clear miss on a throw-in, killing, stealing a possession away from Whitecaps FC. And then you have a manager who is absolutely pissed about it, and then he gets sent off. And when you look back as well in that in that match, I mean, the referee missed some other things too. Um, he was extremely unsure what to do with Fraser Aird on his uh, early, relatively early challenge. In that match, what he he was about half hour mark, and fortunately the referee didn't kill the match because a red card would have done that. Fraser Eric, not entirely smart, but he was lost. Stoika was, you know, he. I guess you want to give him credit to some extent, checking in with his team of officials, but it just seemed like he was highly confused. There were plenty of whistles. Um, I, I think as the match went on, he did a little bit better, but yeah, that was, that was quite a performance from him. But for all that said, and I said it on Saturday, if you're Carl Robinson and I know there's pressure and there's intensity and there's a lot of emotion, your team is bad right now. You can't hang them out like that. I mean, there, there has to be some blame on him. For getting himself into that situation. Again, there's two sides to it all. Referee was crap. (laughs) But, Robbo, you you can't do that. You're supposed to lead. You're supposed to inspire. And that's something he hasn't been doing for a long time, it looks as though. Well, based on their record. Now you think back, and I I don't want to beat this Hurtado thing to death, but... You know, you you need goals. You haven't scored. You can't score. So you go and start the one guy who can't score. Um, You know, it's, it's, I guess it's nice to see the commitment level to him and, and the hope, the belief that he can break things and 
and start fresh and get something going. And yes, he found the net in CONCACAF Champions League action. Oh man, but it's just a surprising decision really. Considering the limits on this squad with all the players off on international duty. No Giles Barnes, no Blas Perez. Masato Kudo there, no. You're sitting. Head scratcher for me. Uh, do we do we look at we me? Do I look at other player performances? There there were some bad ones, folks. There there really were. Um, oh Pedro Morales. Oh Pedro. Oh my. What what has happened to you? Um, last week there was word. Post-training, I think it was on Global First, they had the clip about Pedro Morales and what the future holds for him. And he acknowledged that he he could be gone. This might might be it for him. I, I think if, if you're the Caps, you're probably thinking that too. He's had an extremely poor year. He has had such an uninspired season, Pedro Morales. I joked as I love to do here on uh, on the show, on Twitter, and I love to refer back to a couple tweets, but I, I joked on Saturday, did Pedro say he might not be here next year or this game? How invisible was he? How uninfluential was he? You know, has this guy, has this guy completely checked out? Awful stuff. With, with all the bodies missing that... He no-shows like that. And, and it's not the first time. Again, the, ur- the lack of urgency and, and desire and the commitment, the inspiration. You know, this is the guy wearing the armband. You know, I just don't get the sense that he's playing for the crest. He's, he's not thrilled. He's just going through the motions. And what? He was... He was the first substitute. Was he not? He was. As the Caps always do, by the way, in the 60s. That's when they usually do things. Minute number 66, your, your designated player gets taken off for Nicholas Mosquito. And it was like, he and he left the park, and it was just same thing. Just, yeah, okay, well, he's, just, he's just leaving now, very quietly. Quiet match, quiet exit. You know, as of as of right now, I can't imagine Pedro Morales will be here next year. Um, I, I think there's some people who say, "Well, they can bring him back on on less money." Well, can they though? <laughs> you know, that's. I don't think Pedro Morales is going to go from 1.2, 1.3 million to 400k. <laughs> hey, come back next year. We want you. Can you take a nine hundred thousand dollar pay cut? It's very wishful thinking. Um, this is a guy who probably thinks he has some more years and time in front of him, but he, he's not, he's not really doing his CV any good right now with his, with his no-shows. He's been extremely poor. You know, yeah, he, I, 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 without looking, is he, is he still the leading scorer on this club? (laughs) I know he buried a bunch of penalties at the start of the year, and that speaks to the Caps' struggles with goal scoring. I think he is, but that's long ago. 
it's it's been a a dreadful year for Pedro Morales. Jordan Smith, everyone. You know, there, there's there's some glimpses. I I don't know how he's kind of stuck it out. He's 25 years old. I don't think he's going to improve technically. Uh, he's filling a hole. He can't really cross the ball well. He's athletic. There's that, but is is that what you're going for? Don't you want a, a player that's more skilled with his feet anyways? You know, he, he nearly set up a goal for New York on Saturday. Considering the lineup and who was there, I suppose it's understandable why he was playing, but it's just he doesn't offer much. He really doesn't. Tim Parker finally made his uh, way back in, and that was uh, it was a bit surprising there. I haven't talked about him over the past little while, um, mainly because there haven't been too many shows. But uh, with with regards to Tim Parker, you know this is a guy who played every match on the year with the exception of one, and I think that was the Houston match back in March, and that was because he was away with the U.S. under twenty threes. So he plays, again, with the exception of that one one single match, he plays every match. And then he sits for a bit. Because you're not going to sit Kendall Waston, folks. He just can't. And David Edgar gets in. And yeah, there was a scoreless draw in there. Um, there was a loss, though, as well. But I was a bit surprised that Tim Parker kind of felt that one. He was the one, the odd man out. And that they didn't go with him, for example, at right back. Whether Parker is a better right back than Jordan Smith, I, I don't know. You, you, you need to almost have like a competition. You, you need to have a uh, just a battle between those two <laughs> to see who is the better right back. Because I think Parker doesn't have all the skills there either, but he might be better than Smith in that role. Nonetheless, he drew back in because when you looked at who was available not much, he had to play. And he did okay. He got a nice uh, a nice, nice cut across his nose. But I say he did okay. He didn't do great. Him and Jordan Harvey, who returned to the lineup, had that gaffe that led to the uh, Bradley Wright-Phillips goal. Where the hell is Sean Wright-Phillips, by the way? What a, what a bust he's been. <laughs> other, um, just some other notes here. I think there's some hope still that Kakuta Mane is going to play. I'd, I'd mentioned it quite some time ago that I was told it wasn't going to happen the rest of the year. I've seen him in a walking boot. You know, he, even if he does come back, there's six left. You know, is is he going to turn the tide? Can he make a difference? Will they be rushing him back? I think there's more questions than answers uh, regarding Kakuta here. In this uh, in this final stretch, you know that that injury, uh, the fifth metatarsal, the fracture. You know it's it's an injury, and you just Google the damn thing. It's it's not a simple heal. It's affected a lot of players, and it's not like you know six weeks and you come back, or or eight weeks you come back. I mean that's what clubs like to say. It's that's not the case. 
It, it's a it's an injury that can linger if it doesn't heal properly. It screws you up for a while. We've seen a number of players have difficulty with it. And so I would be surprised if Kakuta Mane makes a return. And again, if he did, I would question whether um, he came back too soon. A lot of hypotheticals there, but whatever. I miss you, Churcherdo. I do. Why didn't you why didn't you do it on Saturday? You suck, Churcherdo. I'm kidding. I'm gonna have to look this up. Um, but Giles Barnes, how much losing has he done this year? <laughs> he's he's had a dreadful year when it comes to wins and losses. When you think back to his time at Houston, to Vancouver, if you think internationally with Jamaica, they did not have a good Copa America centenario. They have struggled and have been eliminated in World Cup qualifying. He has been a part of, what, three sides now that have lost and lost, and oh yeah, lost some more. They've—he's uh, It's just it's been extremely difficult for Giles Barnes. I, I, I think he'd want to tread carefully if you were to ask him, how does it feel to lose this much? But 2016 has been a, a pretty difficult year for, uh, well, a newer member of, of Whitecaps FC. The question came up a little while back, probably when when I was off hiding and not doing a podcast, but who does the blame fall on? And this is kind of an old one, I suppose, now, and, and we'll see how the season unfolds here, the final six matches, how the CCL works out. The Caps are... They're, they're the best in CCL. Um, but we'll have to see how it all unfolds. But there's plenty of questions with regards to blame. I've taken to Twitter on the matter more than once about where it kind of lies. The committee. Oh, the committee. Is it all on the committee? Is it on Robbo? You know, I have my questions. And... And again, I've I've talked about this. I've mentioned this before. I I think it's extremely short-sighted to just throw it all on Bob Lenarduzzi. If you are going to throw it on the more presidential, managerial type, then why aren't you throwing it on his colleagues as well, other members of the committee, Greg Anderson, Rachel Lewis? Why, why aren't they feeling it? Oh, it's because Bobby's the only guy who speaks publicly. And by no means is this a, a ploy to defend Bob Lenarduzzi. It's, again, just more factual. In your heart of hearts, this is, this is now I'm pleading, in your heart of hearts, people, do you really think Bob Lenarduzzi is scouting that next great player from Central America? I personally don't think that's the case. Not to try to sound like a smartass at all, but seriously. Really? Is it on him? And I asked the question a while back. If you look at this side, how this side is made up, the side being Vancouver, I think Carl Robinson has a lot of power. He has, you know, he's got a pretty firm grip on this side. And with the exception of some high-priced DPs, you know, somebody in Vancouver's case, really over over 1.5. So with the exception of a player that's 1.5 above, I, I think Vancouver, Robbo, his staff, his team, can do whatever they want. Now, 
you could laugh at that statement because, well, that's handcuffing them. But there are other clubs in this in this league that can do quite a bit with those resources. You know, it's not like everybody is paying six million dollars to a striker to play devil's advocate to my own point. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get a six million dollar striker. I think you probably should at some point. You know, there are questions, and I've said this before. You, you would right there, you would have to question the club's uh, commitment and ambition or lack thereof. But I would lean a bit more towards the on-field side of things. I don't think you can really hang this on a guy like Leonard Uzi. I mean, the players are there. And we go back to a full season, six from last year and 28 from this year, 34 matches, 36 points. That's terrible. I mean, I don't know how you can necessarily pin that on the committee, really. And I mentioned this recently. For all that said, and and I don't, I'm absolutely certain I'm not the only one who believes this. Robbo ain't going anywhere. I, I, I think I was at 98%. I'm probably at 99.5 now. I just do not see Robbo going anywhere. Unless he gets offered some sort of great gig. Now, is a guy who's taken 36 points from his last 34 games going to be offered a good gig? I don't know. It kind of worked out for Owen Coyle, who who left Houston to get a job at Blackburn. So maybe, I guess, it could happen. But I, I, I don't see him leaving. So on the flip side of that, you think about the committee, the three names I mentioned, and I'm all but certain they aren't going anywhere either. So it's going to be a case of committee, those key figures, Robbo, staff, question mark, um, for everybody to be on the same page to work it out. Because I think the higher-ups and the on-field side of things, there's not going to be really any, any turnover there. But, you know, a lot of frustrated people, a lot of frustrated fans, they got the season ticket renewal going on right now. You know, save 12%, I don't know, 12 days, blah, blah, blah. I know a lot of people out there, a lot of supporters wanting this this club to find that impact player, to find that goal scorer. And I've mentioned it before, it seems pretty certain that by January they will have somebody in place. But that's January. That's not now. They aren't going to save the season unless they turn it turn this trend around pretty quickly. But again, a lot of questions, a lot of blame being thrown around. You know, you can talk about the residency as well and the players that have been produced or lack thereof. You, I mean, you can say, oh, Alf- Alfonso Davies. Well, really, people? <laughs> really? I think they took him off another club from uh, Alberta. You know, he's been in Vancouver for a little bit, but... So there, there are questions there. They, they haven't had great success. This isn't breaking news as well, but they haven't had great success. Borat? In moving kids from the residency up, you know, we've seen players leave over the past couple of years. Gone on to U.S. college, gone to, well, Scotland, there are kids leaving. There are kids that aren't making it at the MLS level. 
big, big, you know, kind of end of year off season ahead for for Whitecaps FC. I haven't closed the door just yet, by the way, on this side for the rest of the year. Like I said, for all the doom and gloom that I've mentioned and all the shots that have ended up in the 32nd row of BC plays and all the poor passes and all the coaches that have been ejected, for all of that... They are four points out of a playoff spot in the Western Conference with six matches to play. They can max out on 49 points. We do know this. They're not going to win the Supporter Shield this year. They're just not going to. Not going to make it, folks. They can max out on 49 points. So they're not even going to get first in the West. That could take them to second if every team around them somehow fails. Um, but they do control things, don't they? You know, if, if they can pick up victories here at Columbus, at Seattle, you know, they, they come home for a couple, Colorado, Seattle, and they finish off the year at San Jose and Portland. I mean, these are crucial matches. You know, the 18 points there, if they can grab, I don't know, 14, again, saying that I nearly threw up and almost laughed, but if they can somehow do that, they should probably make it. And then the season's completely saved, isn't it? But I ask this, has there been, and sure, it's, well, it's under two weeks away now. But has there been, and I don't remember, any kind of less buzz than there's been for that match against Seattle on September the 17th? Like, a match of that magnitude, rivals, Cascadia, blah, blah, blah. There's... And yeah, they got a couple matches in between, both away, Columbus and then CCL at, at Sporting Kansas City. But there's just been not a lot to that. There hasn't been a lot of buzz around that. And I know the Sounders are pretty bad this year too, but they are uh, finding their feet a little bit anyways, making a bit of a late push. But it just seems, you know, the players have have sunk, the supporters are, are sinking as well. Um, you know, this has been an ugly, ugly run. Not a lot to cheer about. Home record, terrible. Goals, nowhere. A big, uh, a big run here for the Caps to uh, attempt to turn it around. Columbus on 26 points, second worst in Major League Soccer. They, they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. They are tied for least amount of victories, just five wins from 26 matches, the Columbus crew. They've had a terrible year as well. So maybe Vancouver can go to Columbus and uh, and turn it all around and grab three points on Saturday in Ohio. I need a moment to pause. I'll have a sip of my Milano coffee, and uh, we'll take a break here. On the other side of Off the Pitch... Talk some Canada as uh, they fell at Honduras. Their chances of moving on to the Hex in CONCACAF World Cup qualification looking extremely bleak. Talk about that coming up. Off the pitch, the podcast starter. Now we're back to Off the Pitch, the podcast. Saki. 
Uh, I'm Mike Martinego. Thanks so much for listening. I'm on Twitter at Mike Martinego. It's at theprovince.com, soundcloud.com, slash off the pitch. iTunes as well. Subscribe, download, listen, love, please. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, OTP, it's brought to you by Pacific Meridian Mechanical. If you want great service done right, well, check out our friends at Pacific Meridian Mechanical. Full service mechanical team has you covered for plumbing, heating, gas, the initial design, all the way to the finishing touch. Pacific Meridian Mechanical oversees your project, ensures that every aspect is handled right. For more info, their website, meridianplumbing.ca. Give them a call, 778-227-8219. That would be Nathan at 778-227-8219. Final note on Whitecaps FC. I talked about Eric Hurtado and all his shots and lack of target. Caps ended that match against the New York Red Bulls with not a single shot on target. And as I watched that match on Saturday, and this goes back to that home record thing, 20 of 42 points, you just look at New York, come into BC Place, and and for large chunks of time, really bossing that match, that's pretty disgusting. I mean, and, and that's not the first time that's happened where the away team, and of course this ties back to the record, but the away team comes to BC Place and does that. I mean, that has happened a number of times. And, yeah, just just gross from a, from a Caps point, from their perspective, preparation standpoint, for a team to fly across the, the continent and to do that. You know, and you think back to Orlando City as well, and this is all the way back on July the 16th. They probably should have left BC Place with three points. Um, really, really underwhelming stuff from the Caps on uh, home turf. Yes, indeed, turf, turf talk. Okay, so Canada, Honduras. It wasn't 8-1. It was not. Um, plenty of talking points here. Again, as I mentioned earlier with the show and this show, where it is on the calendar and with Canada looking ahead to El Salvador, um, I'll, I'll keep it relatively brief, I suppose. If, if you want, you can just go back and look at my tweets and how upset and, uh, I don't know, down I was about it all. I've said this before, I, you know, I, I ain't no TFC fanboy. I'm not a fanboy for the Caps by any stretch. Um, I'll... I, I'm not going to wear my red Canada shirt in the press box for a Canada match, but I'm pulling for Canada. I am. Um, And that's why I was uh, visibly, I guess, down about what happened on Friday when they lost at Honduras. Um, It it seemed mindless at times uh, how they played that match. And now is it as simple and cut and dry as go there and put everybody behind the ball um, and defend and cliche time folks park that bus. Is it as simple as that? I guess not always for me. They, they had the chance to be, to be smart really about things. They had the opportunity to attempt to close up shop, to make it extremely difficult for Honduras I mean, this is a side that was there just a little under four years ago, and 
they were terrible. We all recall that one. That is that is has not left the system just yet. That was awful. Now it's a different coach. It's a different mentality. But there just seemed to be a lack of awareness on a number of fronts uh, in terms of the squad selection. You know, I think I think Benito Floro can't leave this one and not take some of the uh, the brunt of it here. In fact, he he's deserving of quite a bit of it in terms of who was picked, who was there, who wasn't there, who was on the field um, during that match. You know, players out of position. The players positioning itself, like literally their positioning on the park. You know, when I saw that 11 announced, I don't think it was surprising. It was it was more upsetting than anything. When you look at the players who were there in, in terms of the attacking quality, I mean, they had guys out there in Tesho Akindeli, who for me was a surprise starter. I thought Toss St. Ricketts was going to get in. Um, Kyle Laren, there's no surprise there. Scott Arfield, he's there. Junior Hoylet, who <laughs> maybe I can save it for later, maybe not. He goes in all he goes all 90 minutes. A player who is without a club, which by on a side note, isn't that kind of funny in a, in a sense? For for years, Canada wanting this player to come into the fold. But he was too tied up with his club. He didn't want to focus on country. And here we are now. All he has is country. It's kind of funny when you think about it. But, you know, an out of an out of shape, lacking match fitness junior Hoylet somehow goes all 90 minutes. That's terrible management in my mind. But these attacking players, uh, why? Why? Why don't you just try to hold the fort, clog it up, Try to do something on set pieces, on free kicks, on corners, where you got your goal from, no less. It's just a very, very, very silly mindset, um, tactically speaking, to go out and do that. And and again, uh, seeing that 11, it was, it was upsetting. I was really frightened by it. And, you know, I, I think my fears, uh, and probably some of yours, came true um, to see how those players performed. Tesho Akindeli, he had major difficulty. Junior Hoylet, I don't know how in the end he went all 90 minutes. Um, Scott Arfield, I, I think he has to be there. And I thought he did extremely well considering the conditions, something he's not used to. And I know not a lot of players are used to those conditions. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy, and I, I made a joke about it on Twitter. I, I mean, has he been in weather that's probably hotter than 25 degrees? Uh, and I'm be- exaggerating a little bit, but at the same time, I'm not. I mean, he he comes from, uh, and he's grown up in an area where it's, you know, it, it's not going to be 40 degrees. It's not going to be awful conditions like it was in Honduras. All that said, I wasn't as frightened by him starting as I was with Junior, with Tesho Akindeli. Um, and again, it, it just kind of all came true. Both of those guys were completely bagged. And if you were expecting those guys to go up and down the flank and cover a lot of ground, well, they tried, but you know, it, it, it just, you, you saw it firsthand. And this applied to a number of players. 
and it's as basic as the fact that there were there are many um, as we saw as the match progressed after really the 50 60 minute mark a lot of those Canadian players are simply not fit enough now is it on them is it on their clubs I don't know I think a, a national team can only do so much with the limited period of time but I think that's what it boiled down to is is the fitness. If if you can have that on your side and cover a lot of ground and be hard to play against, that can get you pretty far. And they they just weren't. And there was a number of times where and, and I don't know if it if it comes down to Benito Floro, if he's telling these fullbacks to push up, if he's telling Marcel de Jong to go up that side or Daniil Henry who can't play right back to push up as a right back. If, if I, I guess I would assume that is Benito Floro telling them that. Um, I, I'd like to think Benito Floro did not tell David Edgar to go so far up the pitch to then be so far caught out of pos- a position for Honduras to get the, the eventual winner. Um, it was staggering stuff. And, and again, if, if that's just players kind of losing their minds, or if that's the the coach's setup, I'm I'm just so confused by that because I mean you're setting yourself up for failure. You you really really are. And there were a number of players who who underwhelmed. I think Marcel De Jong has had a tough go with the Caps, and I think he didn't really do himself any favors for Canada on on Friday. You know, he he ran into some difficulty. You know, those 50-50 type balls where he was second best, he was late. Um, you know, he, he he got caught out of position numerous times. And I think uh, Dejan Jakovic and Mandrekar James were kind of getting picked on at times, uh, both by people in general, but also Honduras. But the problem is with those guys, and, and Yakovic, by the way, he didn't have a lot of match fitness too. It didn't. I, you know, looking at some previous stats, I don't think he played a lot in the build up to this one. Those guys often had to fill, and they were getting stretched apart. They were having to fill on the right hand side, on the left hand side. It was just staggering to see how many times De Jong and Henry were you know, getting exposed and leaving their teammates to be exposed as well. And, and, you know, when you, when you look at the, the highlight of the two, one Honduras goal, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's staggering. It's disgusting to see where the players are and how they're just so caught and how they're just chasing, you know, David Edgar gets so far up the field. Like, what are you doing there, man? Like, what, what were you thinking? And he goes so far up the park. And then he's trying to make his way back. And they're just chasing. They're, it's, it's just a chase. And, you know, I think they go, what, up that left-hand side. And De Jong doesn't do well cross over Daniil Henry is just he's just beaten he's just flat out beaten and and again I think from a fitness standpoint you can get away with with quite a bit but they didn't have that either and it was it was so upsetting to see because you know was when you look at it 
were they going to get get three points from Honduras? I didn't think so. I thought best case scenario was get out of there with a, a scoreless draw, really. You know, if you can leave 0-0, zero, zero, you're setting yourself up nicely. Um, and that's what that's what kind of pisses me off about it all, is the fact that they didn't set up for that. And then they got a goal. They got a friggin' goal. It, it, uh, it, was, it was stunning, too. It was a great header from James. And they, they were... Uh, they silenced the place. There was, you know, Benito didn't cheer. He didn't care, though. He's calm and cool. And they silenced things. And they had the advantage. And and then it was moments of madness right before the break. You know, they... they the defending was was frightening. And Canada came up lucky a few times. By the way, that referee from that match, and I don't have the name in front of me, I'll just call him Pitbull, um, that bad singer. He was terrific. He was a great referee. He did a great job in that match. Some of the lethargic defending prior to the break. I mean, if they can get to halftime and hopefully avoid some of those things being thrown at them, if they can get back to the tunnel... One nil up. Who knows? But you know they they took a big hit there by who was it Martinez scoring right before halftime on a pretty crappy goal really. And Borian maybe could have done better, and that's not to not to really go at him either because he did he did fairly well on Friday. He made a number of saves, and that game could have been much more out of hand. Um, you know they, they were very fortunate to leave there two one. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, just thinking back and and looking back at some tweets right now from Friday, I think I used the word awful like 700 times, you know, these, these players, the, the bad defending to finish off that first half, um, you know, there, there was some talk and I made reference to it. I kind of asked the question, you know, because Canada kicked the ball out due to injury did they get it back they didn't so there was a lack of sportsmanship there from Honduras but you know just even there's a lack of awareness on the Canadian side of things like why aren't you pissed off that they didn't do that why aren't you shouting at the referee at your opposition that hey what are you doing you know they didn't even show that they just seemed out of it they just seemed completely lost and it's just it's just really upsetting when when you look at things and for me the opportunity that was missed because this was a Honduras side and I'm not going to claim that I know them inside out but I think it's fair to say that they are not a similar side to the one four years ago that kicked Canada um, so there was an opportunity there there was a great chance to maybe leave with a point. If you played in a smart, in a organized, in a very disciplined manner. And they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They they left themselves exposed. The positioning was dreadful. Um, again, when all said and done, they probably were... No, not probably. They were extremely fortunate to leave 2-1 losers. I mean, as that match progressed too, when you when you look at at some of those substitutions that were made, okay, James goes off due to injury and he should be good to go against El Salvador. 
but he goes off, Adam Straight comes in. Sure, that's fine. Prior to that, Tell St. Ricketts comes on for Tesho Akindeli. Again, that's fine because Akindeli had a nightmare. Um, but how about this one? And is this one just a case of of trying to leave 2-1 down? <laughs> Nick Ledgerwood goes in for your lone forward and Kyle Laren. Um, oh, Benito. Uncle Benito, what are you doing? It was That was just a tragic substitution. And I mentioned it before with... The fact that Junior Hoylet, who is Sands Club, is going all 90 minutes, and and he struggled too. I mean, he plays a role in that in that 2-1 winner for Honduras as well. When David Edgar caught so far up the park, Junior Hoylet puts a, just a, an awful cross into the middle, and Honduras is able to counter. Um, Hoylet had his difficulties as well. He won some free kicks. But, you know, this is a guy who was lacking match fitness. And they go with him. And, and to go all 90 minutes with a guy who doesn't have a club and who's not playing and who's, you know, he's not in MLS, he's not in England. To do that, just questionable. Questionable and, and wrong, really, from, a, from, the, from that standpoint, from a, a Canadian management standpoint, from Benito Floro side of things, to do that. Um, yeah, he, he screwed up a, a few times. Uh, and it was... It was upsetting to see because I think I think there there could have been there was a chance anyways there it was there that they could have possibly left there with a draw and and they didn't so here we are uh, fast forward to Tuesday hey that's today and the match against El Salvador where apparently they might receive payment uh, if they can get a victory. Um, if they can get a draw, I think it's 30 bucks for every minute that they play and 20, if they get a draw and 15, if it's a one goal loss, that's shady. It's they're, they're up against it. There's no doubt about it. Canada to turn around six goals. I, I like, and I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I like how the positioning of things have gone, has gone here where it was like, it's all over, but now, oh, they still control things. I mean, they need they need a big hand from Mexico here. Um, Mexico, who's a bit depleted by well, players not there, injury. So you know, is this a Mexican side who wants to finish things in style at home against Honduras? Do they want to pu- try to pump a bunch of goals in and you know really try to overturn things with? What happened at Copa America? They looked underwhelming for a while against El Salvador on Friday. They finally won that match 3-1. But do they want to kind of close this round out on a high and go a perfect 6-for-6 in this portion of qualification? Do they want to keep Honduras out? Who knows? On the flip side of that, you know, can Canada score a bunch of goals against El Salvador? They had chances in El Salvador. They did. El Salvador did too, by the way. But can Canada get maybe three or four against El Salvador? You know what? If if they want, I think they could. Um, and we don't know what kind of performance El Salvador is going to put out. You know, could oh man, if Canada can win four nil and Mexico can beat Honduras two nil, um, that would be something. That would that that would be some soccer gods shining down right there. Um, soccer gods, soccer. Um, but you know, I don't, 
I it it's not a favorable situation. Uh, I I I I among many others don't uh, don't see that playing out, but should be a good one, I think, at uh, Soccer Capital Canada, BC Place, on Tuesday night. It's uh, going to be quite a rather large tilt, and if you know if they're able to get a couple goals there inside the first 45 minutes, maybe. Maybe something can happen. They need, they need to get some help from Mexico, um, as we know. But, you know, it, it, stranger things have happened. I mean, I got my fingers crossed. I'm, I'm hoping it turns out. But they haven't put themselves in a, uh, in a great position. But again, upsetting for me at how things turned out in that match in San Pedro Sula. A, a, lot, of, a lot of question marks. The squad, tactically... You go there, and and I I think in in my mind you you clog, you defend, you try to leave there. Ninety minutes later, nil nil. Um, and all that said, forty five minutes in, they were at one one, and it wasn't so bad. But they simply did not have it in the second half. I know I know some people um, wanted to reflect and say, well, you know, where they really crapped the bed, Canada was when they didn't take three points at El Salvador earlier in the qualifying session. And that's a fair comment um, because, again, they did have chances. But if you think back, a lot of people were happy that they just got the one point down there. The fact that they were able to go there and grab something, they, along with many others, were pleased about that. I mean, it's not often Canada can do that. If you want to go even a bit further in this... I think the same can be said for Honduras, though. You can't just call it one way and say, well, Canada should have grabbed three at El Salvador, because guess what? El Salvador held Honduras as well. I think they played to a 2-2 draw. So it's it's not as easy as just claiming, well, Canada should have won, and oh yeah, Honduras and El Salvador's tie. Yeah, that, that's fine. That can stay there. You know, much easier said than done. Um, and, and you would have fancied Honduras to beat El Salvador uh, probably nine times out of ten, and there we go. The one time they get the draw there, so not as it's 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 such a it's a bit of an easy cop out just to claim that Canada could have could have taken three again. It, it obviously would have been great, and you kind of shake your fist a little bit, but it's it's a difficult one in the in the grand scheme because um, at the time people were pleased that Canada was able to go down and grab a point in El Salvador. So there are questions about how they played that squad, the lineup, again, the positioning of some of these players, and where the hell they were on the park at certain times, and it, it, the lack of, uh, and I've said it, organization and structure and discipline. It was really, really upsetting. You know, when I, when I, when I saw Canada, Honduras, and and it's easy to compare, but I just think of of performances. I mean, hell, look at Sunday and, and England in their first qualifier when they played Slovakia and what Slovakia did to make life difficult for the English. You know, they they were second best by, by a mile, but they hung around, hung around, and were very unfortunate not to get a point against England. And for me, that's what Canada had to do. And you think back, there were a few matches at Euro 2016 where, you know, the lesser opposition made life extremely difficult for the favorite. And I think back to matches like 
Albania and France, you know, that was a scoreless match up until the 90th minute before France grabbed one and then added a second. And England had difficulty with Russia. That one ended in a draw. Spain getting by the Czech Republic. I think there was about five or three minutes left in that match before Spain finally found their goal. I mean, that infamous Portugal-Iceland match. Portugal was the dominant side. Iceland had chances, mainly on the counter. But remember what Ronaldo had to say? They didn't play, well, I'm, like, I'm paraphrasing, but you know what they said. They were they were basically a, a lesser country and, and they played negative and blah, blah, blah. Talked along those lines. I just kind of wish that Canada had a bit of that mentality going into Honduras and trying to do whatever they had to do to leave there with one point. That's, that's all they really needed, and they would have set themselves up nicely uh, in the group, but here we are. So, the squad, and it's, it's probably not as required anymore, but there was a lot of uh, controversy, talk about Will Johnson, and how he didn't get named, and I mean, I got in a couple battles on Twitter about it, and it was kind of fun, let's be honest, but the fact is this, and it seemed to go missing from the get-go. People were just saying that, you know, he he wasn't picked for these reasons, and Benito said this, and what Benito said was a bit of a crock. Him, him, Will Johnson, Benito Floro, they don't get along. I mean, it, I mean, it seems pretty clear, doesn't it? And this probably stems back to a few years ago. Um, at the 20, what was it, 2013 Gold Cup, even, when Benito Floro just took the job, wasn't coaching that side. Uh, but I talked about this recently on um, the uh, Red Card podcast back in Toronto about how I think, based on what I could find, it's it started there. And it started when Will Johnson left the Canadian team after one match at the Gold Cup. And I think Benito Floro had a bit of a bad vibe from him. Now, yes, he was gone for a while due to personal reasons, due to injury, finally works his way back in. And it looked like things were cleared up. But here's a situation when, back in June, when Will Johnson left the Canadian camp in Austria to go back to Toronto FC due to injury. Days later, he's playing for Toronto FC against the Montreal Impact. And again, I think Benito Floro is not happy about that. I also have said this, if, if Will Johnson's there, it probably would have been better. I don't think he stops anything that happened in Honduras on Friday. Um, I don't think Canada has the depth to let the egos of a coach and player become involved. Actually, I, I, it's not I don't think. They don't have the depth to do that. But we're in this situation with a manager who is uh, pretty stubborn and he didn't want Will Johnson in. Um, you know, the excuse of Will Johnson being injured, it's crap. I mean, he's played for TFC. He's been back for a couple matches now and he probably could have contributed. I will say this, and I've said this a few times, Will Johnson was terrible in both legs against Mexico. All that said, he probably still could have um, slid in for this one against Honduras and and would have added something, but I don't think he changes the uh, the end result in the matter. And uh, really, at the end of the day, it's probably a situation here with Will Johnson, Benito Floro, that uh, uh, is a shame, um, but 
has been blown out of proportion just a touch. I think we've seen that a bit of a common trend, haven't we? With uh, with particular players, Will Johnson, Jonathan Osorio, Sebastian Jovinko. I'm trying to figure out what the common theme there um, is. I can't quite put my finger on it. Uh, moving forward here, what will be next for Canada if they don't get in? Chances don't look good. Do they stick with Benito Floro? What What's the situation going to be? Uh, very curious to see here. Um, they should not uh, necessarily blow it all up. I think they've taken some strides. Uh, they've made some changes. They've got some players committed now. By all accounts, Benito Floro makes some pretty decent money. And um, he will not get them to the hex. So I, I don't think the return on investment worked out. But I'm curious to see what happens, what the CSA is going to do here uh, moving forward. Tuesday night, Canada, El Salvador at BC Place. Hashtag Soccer Capital Canada. And of course, Mexico at home to Honduras. And will it be another cycle where Canada misses out on, uh, well, the hex, but also, of course, World Cup qualification? One final pause here on Off the Pitch. Uh, close it all out with some more MLS, some more uh, World Cup qualifying. Off the Pitch, Saki! Just wrapping up some Off the Pitch Saki on theprovince.com, soundcloud.com slash offthepitch, and iTunes. I'm Mike Martinego. Thanks for listening. Hi. How you doing? About to wrap it all up here, as I mentioned. Uh, Off the Pitch brought to you by Milano Coffee. It's on Denman in Vancouver. Corner of Denman and Harrow, to be exact. They're serving award-winning espressos, homemade gelato. More information, their website, milanocoffee.ca. Give them a follow on Twitter at Milano Denman. Milano Coffee. West Coast heart. Italian soul. Why did I do it like that? That's extremely weird. That's okay, though. So, Major League Soccer, and just like the Whitecaps, they they wanted to play on the uh, international break. They were fine with it. Uh, So that's what they did. They were uh, among a couple other teams uh, who participated in action, NYCFC. With a 3-2 victory over DC United. Well, that was back on Thursday. And then a bunch of other matches on Saturday. Including uh, New England picking up a 2-0 victory over Colorado. Chicago with a nice win over Philadelphia 3-0. And on the west side of things, LA with a 2-1 win over Columbus. FC Dallas 3. The Portland Timbers 1. Portland, of course, holding down 6th right now. In the Western Conference on 35 points. Nobody wants that sixth and final playoff spot between Portland, San Jose, Seattle, Vancouver. Hey, hell, throw Houston in there. Why not? Beautiful uh, hatchet job, by the way, by Major League Soccer on Nigel DeYoung last week when they put that video out uh, about uh, it was a good move that the Galaxy got rid of DeYoung. Um just dreadful stuff, really, in that uh, in that clip that I don't think a lot of people caught early, and then it really caught on, and a lot of people, um, myself included, were pretty pissed about that. 
just bad form on the league's part. And then, of course, they they just decided to put their head in the sand and say, "What? What are you talking about? We we deleted it. We this. What do you? We didn't post that. What are you drunk? We didn't do that." Um, lovely form by by Major League Soccer. Really good stuff. Um, some uh, World Cup qualifying of note. Very brief here. I got to get out of here. You you don't want to listen anymore. I'll be back very soon, though. I promise. Uh, I mentioned England pulling out a very late victory v Slovakia. Adam Lalana with a pretty fortunate goal to beat the Slovaks there. Ninety plus five, the first match for Big Sam Allardyce at the uh, at the England helm. Up uh, Poland's just some notes here. Some results that kind of uh, uh, caught my eye. Poland blowing a two nil lead. At at Kazakhstan, and settle for a 2-2 draw. Uh, pretty pretty underwhelming from a pretty decent Polish side. Germany went to Norway and was victorious 3-0. Was it Robert Snodgrass? Hattrick as Scotland beat Malta. Well, that was suspected. That should have happened anyways, but they got a 5-1 victory at Malta. My beloved Italians pulling out a 3-1 victory at Israel. It wasn't easy, though as they went down to uh, 10 men via a couple yellow cards to Giorgio Chiellini. Still having difficulty wrapping my head around uh, that UEFA Group G, where Italy is in the same group as Spain, meaning uh, only one of them is going to get auto-qualification. I'm um, extremely worried about that, because I don't anticipate the Italians going to Spain and getting something, um, and then doing, well, grabbing three at home. And yes, I know Italy beat Spain, at Euro 2016, but times have changed now. Spain's under a different manager and some newer players, some fresher players coming into the fold. How about Kosovo getting a 1-1 result in their first match uh, at Finland, no less? Everybody in Group I tying 1-1, Ukraine, Iceland, Croatia, Turkey. And uh, lastly, a nice result for Brazil going to Ecuador, winning 3-0. Argentina on 10 men, 1-0 victory over Uruguay. Uh, Paraguay with a 2-1 victory over Chile. Chile, it's kind of early still in South America, but Chile now in 7th position in that uh, group of 10. And of course... It's top four, fifth place moves on to the uh, next stage, and uh, definitely a result of note, but it was the first match day uh, in Asia, the AFC, where the United Arab Emirates went to Japan and won 2-1, and that was, uh, what, mid last week. Nice result to kick things off in their qualification process. I'm, I'm so done. I, I, I don't want to talk anymore. Um, will Canada move on? Oh boy, I don't think so. We'll talk about that on the next edition of Off the Pitch. We'll also look uh, ahead or back, I suppose, to the Whitecaps and if they can put a stop to this eight-match winless run when they take on the Columbus Crew on Saturday. I'm on Twitter at Mike Martinego, at theprovince.com, on iTunes, soundcloud.com/slash/off the pitch. Talk to you soon. Off the pitch second.